It is time for our midday program on this Thursday here at KRVN. Scott Foster in here with you along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield as we get you prepared for the next couple hours here on the Blowtorch. Lots of information coming your way and we start off our program with Susan. Are you there, Susan? There is no Susan there. Hello, Susan. I was afraid of that. I didn't like the fact that we weren't hearing anything there for a while. So uh, we will, let me let me try this. Actually, here, I believe, uh, I think we got her now. Just uh, just speak, talk amongst yourselves here for a little bit. Here comes Susan Littlefield. Well, thanks so much, Scott. I am at the East Campus at UNL as NAYI is underway, speaking to them about uh, communications and agriculture. So get a chance, follow along with these kids on social media. Just an amazing, strong group of youth in agriculture. And that, of course, this event continuing the rest of this week. Here's what we've got planned for the midday from the farm team. I'll kick it off at 1219 as I talk with Tyler Rudendell. He is with uh, Bear Crop Science as we talk about wind and crop issues, especially after this huge wind that we saw move through this weekend. He gives us a great breakdown as to what he's seeing on yield potential for the crop. Then I'll step back in at 1245 as I speak with Katie Strathman. She's a technical service representative for BASF as we talk sugarcane aphids in our sorghum fields. And then Bryce will wrap up everything at 117 as he continues their series on the National High School Finals Rodeo that's coming up here in Lincoln. So that is a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. Let's uh, turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. Big day yesterday. Lots of talk about uh, the hiring of Trev Alberts. Yeah, I'd seen uh, mixed reviews on Facebook and uh, social media. These days, doesn't matter who you hire. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't matter. You know, somebody's going to have an issue with uh, someone. But it, it's been interesting to see some of uh, what people think about this, especially in the wrestling community. Oh. When Trev Alberts had to make the uh, tough decision to get rid of the UNO uh, department. I've seen some people say, I'm I'm done. I, I don't care anymore. I just want to say, if, if you're done, there's plenty of room on the Loper bandwagon. <laughs> and we're going to be rolling that thing this fall. <laughs> yes, yes, So yes. Uh, blue and gold is always there for anyone. But hopefully people just settle down and give Trev Alberts an opportunity. He had to make some tough decisions when right. he got there. Now, you can question how he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the ways he went about it, uh, come on. Uh, but uh, we'll see. And, and who knows, he may have to make some tough decisions on some personnel in Lincoln down the road if things don't improve. Yeah, they, they may. <laughs> I hope it doesn't come to that. Hope so, uh, but uh, we shall see. Also, they have a new baseball coach at Hastings College. We will fill you on on that. And suddenly, I, I don't know how many eyeballs are watching, but suddenly there is a compelling series in the NBA Finals. That thing is now tied up at two games apiece. Yeah, the Bucks have found it a little bit. All right, thank you, Jason. Let's turn it over to... Our very own Bob Brogan looks like stocks a little mixed today, Bob. Stocks are mixed, uh, just slightly uh, a little lower as far as the uh, Dow is concerned, but not uh, actually up a little bit on the Dow. The NASDAQ and S&P are down just a bit. Uh, investors continue to be focused on where the economy is headed, as well as all of the rest of us. The number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits has reached its lowest level since the pandemic struck last year. And also, U.S. factory output slid last month. Those stories and more coming up. All right. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Let's keep it going with Clay. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we talk now with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Take a look here at the midday trade. And, Mike, we're seeing some back-and-forth action with a little bit more of the bullish sentiment leaning back towards the wheat. Does this really overall market picture have anything to do with the updated drought monitors that we're seeing coming out today? Or even one map that I saw from the Aberdeen National Weather Service in South Dakota calling the uh, overall June 2021 precipitation rank their driest on record? Yeah, I think it does, Clay. I think you've got a couple things that are kind of op- to oversimplify, really drawing the attention and focusing the trade's attention on splitting out the weather. You've got the radar and the weather models giving some rainfall for the Corn Belt, but yet you also have the weekly ag and drought update coming out, really focusing what's going on in the sunflowers, the soybeans to a lesser degree, and also the spring wheat, obviously. But you're talking about a spring wheat crop that's 98% in drought right now compared to 5% last year. You're talking about a sunflower crop that's 87% in drought 
versus 16% last year. So I think the spring wheat and the soy oil are leaders to the upside for that reason, while the corn and the beans are maybe struggling a little bit more, mainly because of that radar and that weather model outlook going into the weekend. Mike, I know you closely watch both the GFS and the European model. It's looking like, though, in these extended forecasts, the eastern Corn Belt's still okay, but the western Corn Belt, northern plains, what are you making of it? Are they in for hot and dry out through August? You know, this is a good question because I don't trust either of them right now. I'm no meteorologist, Clay, but I'm telling clients and subscribers that what I do buy and purchase, it it looks to me that you're looking at a situation where you really can't get more than three days out on any of these models, no matter which one you look at. And so the predictability uh, ability of this market uh, to to try and go out farther than three days and price that into the futures market is just going to keep us extra volatile, and I think you're going to continue to see just extra wide price swings as a result of these weather models not really being able to do much after 72 hours as far as accuracy and and predictability. From a risk management standpoint, Mike, when we see such volatility in the markets and such things that the slightest change in forecast can really turn a market on its head in the overall direction it's going, is this kind of making the options space much more difficult to use in terms of being a risk management tool just given volatility typically increases option prices? You know, I think that was a case probably two weeks ago, but I think, Clay, what I have seen in the last couple weeks has been a real sharp decline in option volatility, and that's a very welcome thing because we're still in the middle of July. But to give you an idea, we were over 50% on implied volatility for corn at the money options just a couple weeks ago as we entered the 1st of July. That started to slide, and we made a low at about 35 36% right around this report time period. So that's a a big price break, theoretically speaking, for how much options cost now versus what they did about 10, 15 days ago. Over the livestock trade, are we starting to become too high on the price and curbing some export demand given the poor export numbers we got for both beef and pork today? Yeah, that's a concern, whereas the grain export sales, that was pre-report. That was from July 2nd to July 8th, so I'm going to give that a pass because the end users were probably waiting to see what was going to be happening in the USDA WASDE numbers. But for livestock, to see pork off 68% from the four-week average and beef 44% off on the four-week average, I'm nervous that it's not just price, but it's also COVID lockdowns. They're starting to take hold here, shipping issues due to COVID. This is something we really have to watch. That is Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. You can learn more at globalcommaresearch.com. Again, their website is globalcommaresearch.com. While you're there, mention you heard about Mike on the Rural Radio Network. He'll set you up with a free trial. Do remember, trading futures options involve risk of loss. May not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Anna, thanks. Time for us to check our weather and how it is affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul is in here with us, and uh, we've been doing some investigation to find where the sun is. Yes, uh, <laughs> mainly over northern Nebraska and west-central Nebraska, quite a bit of sunshine, but those clouds very persistent, especially along and south of the line from about Albion to south of Ord to about the Lexington area on into much of south central and southeast Nebraska and much of northern Kansas. That storm system still producing some light to moderate rain across much of eastern Kansas. And over northeast Kansas, they had anywhere from about an inch and a half to three and a half inches of rain over the last 24 hours with this storm system. They had up to an inch and a half in Beatrice. I wonder where they're at in that the KC metro area and all. It feels like they have gotten a lot of rain over over the last month or so. Of course, it kind of always uh, tends to do that. Uh, yeah. Those th- thunderstorms pick up a little more moisture off to the southeast, and then yeah, they get the storminess there. That's true. That's very true. What do you got for us, Paul? Right now, we still have some light rain, light to moderate rain, basically that northeast corner of Kansas, down to around the Wichita and just to the south of uh, Salina area. Those showers and thunderstorms gradually moving to the east and southeast. Still that persistent cloud covering much of south central and southeast Nebraska and nearby parts of Kansas. Temperature is not too bad. A bit on the humid side with the clouds. Uh, most of our temperature is in the low to mid-70s, but we are seeing some temperatures into the... Uh, 
right around 76 in the Ord area with that little more sunshine. It is up to 79 right now in the Smith Center area where they did see some sunshine. Also, Hayes and Russell currently in the upper 70s where there has been some peaks of sunshine. We will see increasing sunshine as the day goes on with high pressure building in from the northwest and some cooler and drier air, uh, much more pleasant on those dew points and the lower humidity. Some thunderstorms do remain possible through this evening across the central and east or right near a cold front that may fluctuate a little bit back more to the north. Our temperatures for today through the weekend on the cool side for this time of year, about 5 to 10 degrees cooler than average. Later tonight through tomorrow will be dry. Those off and on thunderstorm chances returning by tomorrow night into the weekend. Right now the parameters for severe storms looks to be lacking. Of course, stay tuned. You never know when that could change. The best thunderstorm chances arrive for Saturday night into Sunday morning with an increase in moisture. Next week's forecast is dry with the building rich of 5 pressure. Now we will get some cooler air from the northeast to keep our temperatures slightly below normal for the early part of next week. Then those temperatures trend warmer by later in the week. In the long term forecast, it does look warmer and drier. Nebraska temperatures likely to be warmer than normal for Tuesday through July 28th. The Kansas temperatures do start out cooler than normal for the middle part of next week before they trend warmer than normal by late next week through the 28th in Kansas. Mostly dry weather expected with below normal rainfall Tuesday through the 28th for both Nebraska and Kansas. Checking the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska improved a percentage point to 32% drought-free. No dryness concerns right now from Holdridge down to McCook and Franklin, from Ogallala up to southwest Cherry County and on into the southern Panhandle and in much of eastern Nebraska. Most of Nebraska normally dry to a moderate drought, so not a deep drought. Northeast Nebraska, right near the South Dakota border, continues on with severe to extreme drought. Kansas dropped 31 percentage points to 59% drought-free. Much of central Kansas and the northwest corner abnormally dry right now. Moderate drought is found in extreme northern Republic and Washington County. Key weather factors driving the markets include moderate to heavy rain through the middle of the U.S. and more frost chances for southern Brazil. Across the northern Midwest, heavy rain yesterday missed some key areas of western Minnesota where drought likely intensified this last week. The rain was very welcome, though, in Wisconsin, northern Iowa, and southern Minnesota, where the rain helped to ease the drought. Moderate to heavy rain will slowly move south across the Midwest the next several days. I hope overall, but some of the wetter spots in northern Missouri and Illinois can actually use some dryness. Drier conditions will develop for the Midwest next week, wiping out any benefit from the rain over the northwest areas of the Midwest. The upcoming drier weather looks to benefit the saturated soils across the south and east Midwest. For the northern plains, the recent rains, a disappointment with much drier weather and triple-digit heat on the way in the next week. Central Brazil corn continues to be stressed by dry weather, with a large portion of the crop still in the field. In South Brazil, another chance for frost Sunday through Tuesday that could have more detrimental effects on their corn. All right, very good. Well, uh, some good news with the drought monitor, but still uh, still we're looking, especially that northeast part, in bad shape. Huh? Yeah, of course, a lot closer to the Dakotas where that uh, severe to extreme drought continues in those areas. And uh, not much relief, unfortunately, on the way for the Dakotas. We're luckily not going to be overly warm in the next week, but uh, definitely some heading into a drier period for this next week. All right, very good. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather page. KRVN.com. Clay Pan with a market update on the Rural Radio Network. Starting to see a little bit more pressure re-enter back into the live cattle and lean hog market. Still likely a lingering effect given the fact of what we saw for export sales out this morning for both beef and pork. As for the Class 3 milk futures, both the August and September contract just ticked limit lower, losing over 4% on the day. More pressure coming into that market as it tries to push it back below the $16 mark. In the grain trade, they're not taking much stock. The fact the U.S. dollar is slightly higher here on the day, it's more, well, where will the rains fall and what will the overall in production number look like? Still keeping the corn and soybean bulls sidelined, but the wheat bulls are able to move higher. Right now, September corn, 566 and a half, down one and three quarters. December new crop, 557 and three quarters, down one. March of 22, 565 and a half, down one. May, 569 and three quarters, down one. August soybeans, 1447 and a half, down five and a half. September, 1394, down a quarter. 
November new crop 1380 down three and a quarter. January 1384 down three. July Chicago wheat, or excuse me, September Chicago wheat 670 and a half up 16 and a quarter. December 677 and a half up 15 and a quarter. March 684 and a half up 14 and a half. September Kansas City 638 and a quarter up 10 and a half. December 649 up 10 and a quarter. March 657 up nine and three quarters. August live cattle now dollar 2112 down 12. October dollar 2652 down 25. December dollar 3175 down 17. August feeder cattle dollar 5740 up 45. September dollar 5947 up 25. October dollar 6147 up 25. Lean hog trade July dollar 1215 down 22. August dollar 462 down 47. October 8977 up 55. December lean hogs 82.72 up 57. And a check of the outside, the Dow Jones right now is returned positive up nine points, 34,941. Meanwhile, the U.S. dollar index up 27 ticks at 92.66. Uncle Tim, some friends and I are getting together this weekend. Can you buy us some alcohol? I don't think that's a good idea. Come on, it'll be low key. My friends always say you're cooler than other adults. Oh, all right. But don't let your mother find out and don't get caught. Hello, officer. What can I help you with? Are you the uncle of Samantha? Yes. Is she okay? You're under arrest for procuring alcohol from minors. One of the minors drove drunk and killed the mother of two last night in a crash. You're looking at up to three years in jail and a $10,000 fine. Don't make the same mistake he did. We need you to be the responsible adult. Underage drinking, adult consequences. There's no free ride if you provide. Learn more at projectextramile.org. Sponsored by Region 6, Nebraska DHHS, and SAMHSA. Aired with the Nebraska Broadcasters Association at this station. to you from the 2021 Dawson County Fair. It is a beautiful Thursday afternoon and it is time now for a check of the latest in agriculture news today. When the coronavirus pandemic started in March and April of last year, it sparked an increase in the bi-local movement in the U.S. as well as in Mexico. To try to capitalize on the renewed interest in knowing from where their food comes from, the U.S. Meat Export Federation went outside the box to appeal consumers in Mexico. Thanks to an education effort supported by the Beef Checkoff the National Pork Board and the Illinois Sweeping Association, USMEF Mexico developed education programs pairing U.S. beef and pork with locally grown products. Gerardo Rodriguez is USMEF's marketing director in Mexico, and he says at the onset of the pandemic, it was challenging to differentiate their message from others. So he noted that USMEF created creative alliances with products that aren't typically meat related, like family owned coffee farms. What we are doing with them is we're developing products like coffee cream, coffee butter, coffee as a rub. And when we work together, we develop recipes using U.S. beef and U.S. pork using those ingredients. We're educating the people how they can cook different type of recipes using local ingredients, such as the coffee. And Rodriguez noted they're also working with family farms that focus on hydroponic vegetables, honey, and even habanero peppers. He added, at this point, more and more families are reaching out to USMEF, expressing an interest in a working relationship to promote the use of local products. Rodriguez says as long as the program proves to be successful, USMEF will continue to work with local farmers and producers. Well, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association says Senator Booker's bill is misguided. Bryce Duskett has more on this story. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association is calling a bill introduced by Senator Cory Booker misguided. The Farm System Reform Act, reintroduced on Wednesday by the New Jersey Democrat, would place a moratorium on concentrated animal feeding operations known as CAFOs. Specifically, the legislation would place an immediate moratorium on new and expanding large CAFOs and phase out by year 2040, the largest as defined by the Environmental Protection Agency. The bill would also restore mandatory country of origin labeling requirements for beef and pork and expand to dairy products. NCBA Vice President of Government Affairs Ethan Ethan Lane stated in part, As our food supply chain is taxed by a growing number of mouths defeated home and abroad, this efficient production system will be more vital than ever. 
All right. Thanks, Bryce. Also in the news this afternoon, the executive order issued last week by the Biden administration proposes rule changes to increase competition in livestock markets. American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director Scott Bennett says the executive order focuses on fairness and transparency. What we see in the executive order is much more attention being drawn to the potential for some of our livestock markets being unfair. We also see $500 million in regional packing capacity expansion, as well as $100 million for overtime relief for FSIS inspectors at small and regional packing facilities. And he says the executive order proposes to alter rules under the Packers and Stockyards Act. We know that there will be three proposed rules that rework competition and undue preference. While we currently don't have the text, we await the administration to publish that text, which in the executive order said would be done within the next 150 days. Again, those comments coming from AFBF Congressional Relations Director Scott Bennett. That is a check of agriculture news this afternoon, reporting from the Dawson County Fair. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. We all know Mother Nature has been throwing some interesting punches our way. First, we get rain cooler weather then it gets hot and dry then we get some more rain and then she throws in some wind with it so what does this all mean for our crops and yield potential hi i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network i asked that question of tyler rugdenhill he's a technical agronomist with channel he's out of the Kearney, nebraska area as we talked weather crops and potential yeah it's a it's a great question susan so um really with rain and and again with that usually sometimes comes comes hail and wind events so uh anytime we get a wind event my my biggest encouragement is make sure we're going and checking the fields not only the ones that that look bad from the road but also the ones that maybe don't look bad from the road because chances are we've got either some goosenecking or uh some snappage that just isn't prevalent enough to see from the road so um with snap plants you know Typically, especially this time of year, we're going to see less pollen shed or, you know, in some cases, if it breaks off below the ear, we're not going to get an ear on that plant. Uh, then with goosenecking, you think about um, that plant trying to compensate and essentially going from a uh, thrive type environment to just surviving. So um, having to shoot more brace roots. So that's going to be a little bit more inefficient with water and nutrition uptake. Now, the crazy thing is sometimes even the normal looking plants, i.e. the ones that aren't snapped or goosenecked, uh, typically can experience loss of roots, especially the wind event that just went through here this last weekend because of the wind whipping that plant. Those uh, roots right at the soil surface can get uh, ripped off. So my, the plant itself might look fine, but uh, loss of root area, obviously, again, making for, for less water and nutrition uptake. Hail is obviously an entirely different animal altogether because we open that plant up for either fungal uh, pathogens to move in or bacterial. Um, and then we can obviously have some bruising on that on the main stem and then uh, limit the leaf area. So really creating some photosynthetic issues when we're trying to pollinate and fill the ear later in the year. So you talk all about all of this, Tyler. How is this going to have an impact on what we see with, with the possibility of, of yield numbers? Yeah, so obviously anytime we stress the plant, it's it's never a good day, and especially at this time of the year when we're trying to concentrate less. We're really done from a vegetative standpoint, especially in corn, and switching over to a reproductive standpoint. So any stress that we see at, at reproductive in stages in corn typically has a bigger yield impact than if we stress it at a vegetative state. So um Granted, we're just starting to pollinate. I'm just starting to see tassels begin to poke out this week in, in central Nebraska. So um, it's hard to define a hard number on it because of the environmental impacts. But uh, that's where your local channel seedsmen walking those fields with you can assess you know, or from a field by field standpoint, really what that looks like for those producers. Anything else that you would like to add as we get ready to hit the second half of July? 
Yeah, I so just again uh, make sure we're assessing every field because again just because we don't see damage driving by on the road doesn't mean we shouldn't be out there digging roots looking at the total impact of what this event has done for us and then uh if we do feel the need if we've had some hail or we have some potential for for disease moving in especially after this rain system that we got you know be having those conversations with your agronomist what steps to take moving forward to uh keep enhancing the yield potential. That's my conversation with Channel Technical Agronomist Tyler Rudenhill. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports here at 1224. The Open at Royal St. George's does have a way of humbling most golfers, and that is underway but a guy who's been doing pretty good jason is uh having a good round yeah louis ustays and he's a clubhouse leader and has a place in the record book at st george's coming off a couple of runner-up finishes the last two majors and he's had a good year he took advantage of soft conditions and shot a six under 64 <laughs> that matches the lowest opening round of a british open at st royals at st george's uh Christy O'Connor Jr. Can't say I'm familiar with that name. Had a 64 in the first round in 1981. Phil Mickelson is struggling a little bit. Looks like the weather is... In fact, they're seeing a little more sun there than we're seeing here. I know. It's it's uncharacteristically nice there right But now. in uh, two hours, uh, it'll be 45. So, <laughs> and the winds will switch. And the winds so, are 45. Yeah. Good for Louie. He was able to get that round in early. Baseball's second half begins tonight with just one game. The AL East leading Red Sox. They will visit Yankee Stadium. The Milwaukee Bucks have tied the NBA Finals at two games apiece. Chris Middleton was a hero last night. He went off for 40 points. The Bucks were actually in some trouble in that game. They were down nine in the fourth quarter, but found a way to turn things around as they beat Phoenix 109-103. I'll have to admit, I watched the first game of this series. I figured the Suns would sweep the Bucks. It's it's suddenly become competitive. And a series. Well, and they're not. It feels like the Bucks aren't depending on the Greek Freak so much. They're getting some contributions from other players. So that turns into a best of three as those mm-hmm. two will look to finish it up. And I don't know how they're going to pull the uh, the Olympics off in Tokyo with all the things they have going on. But uh, athletes now will put the medals around their own necks to protect against spreading the coronavirus. The IOC said it's a very significant change to traditional medal ceremonies. Medals will be placed on a tray by a person wearing disinfected gloves and then presented to the athletes who will then take them from the tray and place them around their necks before they protest. Yeah. <laughs> this is just, it's going to be... Yeah, yeah, I don't know how they pull it off. I'm glad that's not my job. I'm too. You've got to think NBC is going, oh man, we put up a lot of money for this and... Well, and how much will be postponed and what will take place. I think the numbers over there have started to tick back up. I don't think Tokyo really even wanted to host the thing anyway, but they were kind of stuck with it. Well, it's not like you can just switch sides, (laughs) you know, and, oh, man. Yep. It's going to be... Going to be tough. You feel bad for for the athletes that have worked. You know, these guys work forever to get to this point. And wait a year. You know, I talked to Jordan Larson. You know, she kept training for another year just to have this opportunity. And cross your fingers for everyone involved. Yeah, for it might sure. be a wild ride. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's sports for more. You can find it anytime at krvn.com. All right. Thanks, Jason. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. St. Jude takes care of absolutely everything. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. St. Jude allowed me to focus on being a mom to Bryce. And sometimes I'm just in awe of the impact St. Jude has, not only on this community, but the world. St. Jude is uniquely positioned to advance the cures of pediatric cancer, I think better than any other institution in the world. The contributions make a big difference. Donors are important to us because you get the feeling that you have a team behind you. We have the resources and we have the focus, and so if St. Jude doesn't do it, who will? St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. 
Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Governor Pete Ricketts has made it pretty clear that he is concerned about permanent conservation easements. During his monthly radio show, the governor said concerns about how much environmentally supportive conservation easements impact property taxes and future development need to be balanced against the rights of private landowners to use their property. First of all, you want to strike a balance, right, between personal property rights and, and the public good here. But it's also ultimately up to the counties, the way we've set up our system of government here, it's really up to the counties to be able to manage that. And I'm a big believer, you know, government closer to the people, that kind of thing. So if you've got counties that are managing, counties can come up with their comprehensive land use plan and decide based upon you know, direct input to those county commissioners um, or that board of supervisors how they want to handle Rickett said at this point he's not going to push for state intervention. His comments came in response to questions about media executive Ted Turner's recent announcement that he plans to donate an 80,000-acre ranch he owns in western Nebraska to his own nonprofit agriculture ecosystem research institute and says he might do the same with four other ranches in Nebraska Sandhills. But he'll continue to pay taxes on the land, much to the relief of local officials and Nebraska leaders, according to a report in the Omaha World-Herald on Thursday. A 44-year-old Omaha man who police say was hunting sex offenders when he fatally shot a man last year and a vigilant killing has been sentenced to up to 70 years in prison. James Fairbanks was sentenced Wednesday to 40 to 70 years in prison for the May 14, 2020 shooting death of 64-year-old Matteo Condolci's door with a rifle and fired seven shots into Condolci, a convicted sex offender. Authorities say Fairbanks didn't know him but had found Condolci in an internet search for registered sex offenders. Nebraska ended its fiscal year in much better financial shape than expected despite the coronavirus pandemic. The Nebraska Department of Revenue reports net general fund tax collections of $5.959 billion during the fiscal year that began in June 2020 and ended last month. That's 19.2% higher than the certified state forecast of $5.001 billion. State officials report higher-than-expected collections of sales and use tax, individual and corporate income taxes, and miscellaneous taxes. Tax collections beat projections for the month of June as well, with net receipts of $581 million, which was 22% higher than the official forecast of $476 million. The forecast was set by the Nebraska Economic Forecasting Advisory Board, which estimates how much tax revenue the state will collect. Governor Pete Ricketts gave an update during his statewide radio call-in program on Tuesday on his decision Friday to extend the deployment of 15 state patrol troopers along the U.S.-Mexico border in response to a request from Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And just as a reminder, last week I extended 15 of our state troopers down there for another two weeks so that we'll have a total, uh, well, it'll be 15 folks, but a total deployment down there overall of about a month of our folks assisting the department, the Texas Department of Public Safety with law enforcement operations. Other states also have sent state troopers or National Guard troops to Del Rio, Texas, including those in neighboring Iowa and South Dakota. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. They might not be in the fields in Kansas and Nebraska yet, but sugarcane aphids are on their way. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I talked with Katie Strathman. She's a technical service representative for BASF. As we talked about, sugarcane aphids. Now, bigger numbers are being seen right now in the southern part of Texas. And there's good reason. Because of the rainfall they've had in Texas, they have milo that has been planted over a wide range of planting dates. I mean, almost a two-month span of putting sorghum in the ground. And so with that wide window of planting, we're also going to have a really wide window of maturation with that crop as the season progresses. And because we have varying stages of milo, that also gives sugarcane aphid an opportunity to progress later in the season and make its way up to states like Kansas and Nebraska by using that less developed, later planted crop. And that's something that, you know, we also ran into a little bit in Kansas, we kind of hit some interesting weather conditions this year in various parts of the state where we do have some green sorghum that was planted a little bit later. And so because of the drawn out nature of this season, sugarcane aphid may not be here yet, but it's not something we want to completely write off as not going to be a problem this season. 
What are some of the first warning signs? If you start to see signs of the aphids in the sorghum, it's it's probably a sign that you have quite a few because they are such a small pest. But one of the telltale signs of sugarcane aphid is the production of honeydew. And honeydew happens with aphids. It's um, their byproduct, right, of feeding. They produce this honeydew. It's a really nice, <laughs> a really nice sounding term for um, kind of aphid excrement. But it's, it's a very sticky, sugary substance. And when you notice honeydew, it's probably because you have enough aphids in the field that it's starting to become an issue. And so you might be out walking in a field and, and feel this sticky substance and then think, what is this? And then you actually need to flip up and look on the underside of the leaf because that's where we're going to find those sugarcane aphids is typically on that underside of the leaf in those first days or, or moments of infestation, right? As they progress, they can move up into the canopy. And I mean, they can, they can feed just about anywhere on a sorghum plant. But when you're looking for them, we want to be looking on that underside of the leaf. There is some good news, though, for producers because BASF has an insecticide to help control them, and it's been EPA-approved. Yes, so BASF is really excited to have Safina insecticide because it's really a unique product. It is tough on pests like sugarcane aphid, but it's also really gentle on beneficials, which is something that's really important, especially when we talk about pests like aphids, to have the ability to regenerate their population so quickly when when you have escapes or after an insecticide has worn off. So because aphids reproduce so quickly, we often see from, you know, typical types of insecticidal control that we apply something that's broad spectrum, it controls the aphids, but it also knocks down our beneficial populations. And aphids, because they're so small, do get fed on by a lot of beneficials, things like green lace wings and ladybugs will eat aphids. When we apply Safina, we actually don't impact those beneficials. We actually aren't going to control or, or knock down the green lacewings or the ladybugs out there. We're going to leave them unharmed. We're going to take down those aphids, and that way, after our residual has expired, we still have beneficials around to help keep those low populations of aphids when they start to come back, because they typically do kind of keep them at bay and hopefully prevent resurgence of another high application or high population during that season. So really, Katie, peace of mind for producers knowing when they're when they're spraying this insecticide, they're not causing greater harm to those beneficials. Absolutely. And that's something that we see in, you know, many crops that Safina is labeled in. Safina is also labeled in alfalfa. And that's something that alfalfa producers really like because it's not even just our predatory beneficials. It's even some of our pollinator species that we're very, very gentle on. And that's a big deal um, as we as we think about making wise applications for not only our crop, but also our environment. So one thing that I think is also important um, to think about with sugarcane aphid is that we do have a lot of grain sorghum varieties that have been bred to have increased tolerance to sugarcane aphid. And I think a lot of times when you have that tolerance in the plant, we look at that as, well, we don't need to treat. And I still think that there is a great opportunity to utilize both varietal tolerance to sugarcane aphid as well as a product like Safina that's going to be effective on sugarcane aphids but gentle on everything else in, in that crop canopy, any of our beneficials, right? Because by using multiple technologies, it, it might be able to help preserve both of those technologies as effective treatments against sugarcane aphid for a longer time. So that said, I mean, not every Milo variety has this tolerance. I was talking again with my coworker in, in Texas, and he was saying that just because there's tolerant grain sorghum varieties, a lot of their forage sorghum varieties don't have that tolerance. And so that still gives potential for the pest to spread, also potential for the pest to reproduce. It's a wise stewardship idea to think about multiple effective ways multiple types of control against a pest that can be as aggressive as sugarcane aphid. That's my conversation with Katie Strathman, a technical service representative for BASF. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Borough Radio Network. I'm Brogan. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles... Here's Deb Carson. 
The court hearing for cornerback Richard Sherman is scheduled for this afternoon, during which he'll face charges including burglary domestic violence. Now, that is a felony charge, but authorities say it only includes a domestic violence component because it happened at the home of relatives. Sherman reportedly did not hit or try to hit any family members. Do have some fight news to let you know about, though. The trilogy fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, originally scheduled for July 24th, has been rescheduled for October ninth because of that COVID-19 outbreak in the Fury camp. In golf, Louis Oosthuizen is in as the clubhouse leader at the Open Championship at Royal St. George's. He finished his first round six under par with a one-stroke lead on Americans Jordan Spieth and Brian Harmon, both five under par. Justin Rose is currently three back at three under par. Justin Johnson and Sergio Garcia finished the... Miss anything from Midday on KRVN? Well, don't worry. Subscribe to the KRVN Midday Podcast on iTunes, Android, or the TuneIn app for a recap in ag weather, ag news, sports, business, exclusive interviews, and the current local news. Subscribe and download the free KRVN Midday Podcast now. work with the market update as we start to round the corner going into the close of the day's trade we're starting to see a little more pressure emerge in the soybean and corn market meanwhile the wheat market kicking the afterburners on trying to move higher almost three percent higher now in the minneapolis wheat and two and a half percent higher in the chicago wheat complex over in the livestock trade though the settlements roll in and it's been a back and forth trade day narrow thin margin or thin trade overall and then we end the day Mixed across the entire board, still a little bit heavier selling for the live cattle and lean hogs in the front months with some buying back of the deferred. So maybe a bearish spread sentiment right there. Feeder cattle, every other contract, either green that went higher than lower, higher than lower. So an interesting close coming into the livestock close this afternoon. September corn right now trades 563 down five and a quarter. December 555 and a quarter down three and a half. March 563 down three and a half. May 567 and a half down three and a quarter. August soybeans at 14. 44 and a quarter down eight and three quarters. September 1391 down three and a quarter. November new crop 1377 and a quarter down six. January 1380 and a half down six and a half. We see September Chicago wheat 669 and a half up 15 and a quarter. December 676 and a half up 14 and a half. March 683 and three quarters up 13 and three quarters. September Kansas City 638 up 10 and a quarter. December 649 up 10 and a quarter. March 657 up nine and three quarters. August live cattle settle a dollar 21.12 down 12. October dollar. 2652 down 25 December dollar 3180 down 12 we see September feeder cattle dollar 5922 unchanged October dollar 6120 down 2 November dollar 6272 up 7 July lean hogs a dollar 1212 down 25 August a dollar 430 down 80 October 8940 up 17 on the outside trade the Dow Jones industrial average 65 points lower now 66 34,866 Farm Credit Services of America's long-term financial strength delivered a bonus for its customer owners. In January, our eligible customers received a cashback dividend equal to 1% of their average daily loan balance in 2020. And because of our continued financial success, they received yet a second check in June. Visit fcsamerica.com slash cashbackbonus. Terms apply. Farm Credit Services of America. Agriculture works here. You love to fish. The sight of long lines and casting for better opportunities. You wish more people knew the value of a good worm. Share that knowledge. Take a beginner fishing and show them what real fun can be. Then share a picture with us. You could win a boat or outdoor gear. Visit OutdoorNebraska.org slash TakeEmFishing to learn more. And then, take them fishing. Sponsored by Nebraska Moon Parks. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network with a check here closing livestock trade. Again, a very narrow trading range for most of the livestock here today. Looking at the August live cattle contract, they go from $1.2165 on the top side to $1.2077 on the bottom side. So less than a dollar trading range and fairly just low volume, just a shade over almost 149,000 contracts. It was closer to almost 200,000 yesterday. So again, just a narrow light volume trading range. The bears set up a little bit more today looking at the data we got out from the 
USDA export sales early on. It was a marketing year low for pork exports. It was down dramatically, down 61% for beef export sales. So again, a lot of pressure coming back in to try and push off. The cash market just not really wanting to get up and going yet this week, but maybe that's a positive. Maybe we hold till Friday and things then finally start to break and we see a sharply higher cash market that brings back some optimism back into the futures trade. Right now, it's just kind of that slow slide down the hill as we're seeing some light pressure come in, but bears not wanting to fully sell this market and uh, the bulls, though, does not quite seeing the data they need or the fundamentals they want to see to try and help really turn the market back around. Uh, we have at least been able to hold the dollar twenty mark, though, back again in the August live cattle. Maybe we can find some technical support there to try and turn around. Feeder cattle very cautious of what corn was doing today as it was moving back and forth, mostly, though, a lower day. That helped create some limited gains back in the feeder cattle, but they still seem to be managed or fund money's favorite thing to spread back against the corn when they're buying corn in the more longer-term trend. Looks like they may favor corn over the feeder cattle. Coming in this afternoon, the daily estimated cattle slaughter came in at 119,000 head for the week to date, though, coming in 479,000 head. That does uh, bring us about to 12,000 ahead of last year. Hog slaughter today, 466,000 head. Bring the week to date to 1.846 million head. Still running about 11,000 lighter than it was a year ago. Let's check out the livestock on the Rural Radio Network. The all-around champion from 2020 is ready to defend his title at this year's National High School Finals Rodeo. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Mason Stoller is from Venita, Oregon. At last year's finals rodeo, he won the bareback riding as well as the all-around title. This year, Mason will be competing in bareback in saddle bronc riding. The National High School Finals Rodeo is taking place in Lincoln this year at the Lancaster Event Center. Performances will begin on Sunday and continue into the following weekend. The Oregon Cowboy became interested in the sport of rodeo in a different way than most. Well, I was little and kind of saw it on TV. None of my family has really rodeoed before. I kind of saw it on TV and wanted to try it, and so I started riding sheep when I was really little, and it kind of just carried away from there. What were some of your earliest memories of uh, starting rodeo? Probably going to you know the Fourth of July fair rodeos and stuff, and just kind of going when I was little and thinking how much fun it'd be to do that one day. Well, tell me about uh, how the year went for you to be able to qualify for this year's finals. This year went pretty good. Last fall, I kind of had some trouble and uh, I broke my arm. But uh been coming back from that, and it's been, been going pretty good lately. How'd you break your arm? Uh, I got hung up in the bareback ride, and I was kind of doing an exhibition thing at a pro rodeo and got hung up and broke it. And talk about the recovery process. Uh, it, it, was it a pretty bad break that took a while to recover from, or, or was it an easier one if there's such a thing? Yeah, that was a, it was a pretty good one. It took some time, a lot of physical therapy, and I came back. And it wasn't quite ready, I don't think, so I took a little bit of time to let it recover from that, too. For our listeners who, who might not be familiar with, with the with the sport of rodeo, talk about the, the practice side of it and how that works for you. Well, for me, I don't have as many places to get on the practice horses as some, so it's a lot of the machine time on the spur board and staying fit, staying healthy, trying to keep myself in good shape. What are you looking forward to about this year's National High School Finals Rodeo? I've uh, never been to Nebraska before, and I'm hoping it's a pretty fun one, and hopefully I have pretty good luck. What have you heard about Nebraska, just out of curiosity? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I haven't really heard much. I don't think any, nobody I know has been there before. Yeah. For our listeners, we, we've been telling them, you know, this is a big rodeo, of course. Talk about your travel schedule, like when you'll get in and, and uh, how that works to compete throughout the week because it is uh, such a big rodeo, but I understand uh, you'll you'll go twice. Is that right, during the week? So I leave Thursday, and I'll be there Sunday morning. It's about a 24-hour drive, and uh, I'm up two times in both my events throughout the week, and and it uh, you know goes all week long. There's kids going every day. There's just a crazy amount of kids and lots of people. It's, it's pretty cool. Are you setting any goals for yourself uh, as you compete in Lincoln? My goals mostly are just to kind of do the best that I can and you know hope for the best. Hope I can draw well and hope I can perform at my best. Well, Mason, uh, any any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners about uh, your experience in rodeo and the excitement you have for this year's finals? I'm just excited for this year's finals because it's impressive that they can put on such a big rodeo, have it organized so well, and thankful that they're letting us have it in Nebraska. 
That again is Mason Stiller, a cowboy from Oregon, making the trek to Nebraska to compete in this year's National High School Finals Radio. Of course, he is the 2020 All-Around Cowboy, looking to defend his title this year. For ticket information and details about the performances, you can log on to the website nhsfrlincoln.org. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting inside the Nebraska Soybean War Studio on the Rural Radio Network. Seed wheat. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in now on the closing grain trade with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter This Week in Grain. John, kind of a listless trade for corn and soybeans today, but a really positive trade coming back for the wheat market. Is some of this being built off those export numbers today or more back to the fact that the Minneapolis spring wheat crop is just extremely dry and looks to stay that way? Yeah, I think a combination of both. I think the export numbers this morning, you know, above 400,000 metric tons is, is impressive. Uh, should start to see it pick up quite a bit. Both, you know, exports from, from here and from Europe uh, are going to get busy over the next six weeks. Uh, if you, you know, look at the patterns of the big buyers, uh, you know, Egypt and, and Tunisia and Algeria, they were in the market heavily in August last year. So I think we're probably basing, I don't know if I chased the market up here in the KC side, Minneapolis, uh, you know, is doing a lot of the pulling, but... I think in the uh, in the long run here, uh, it's setting up for a move here in the new crop off of a lack of acreage story, and that's a longer longer picture uh, run or short term. Here we we catch some movement as um, you know the, the conditions in the northwestern growing regions just abysmal, um, 2012 like if you, if you guys can recall those years. So with those kind of things in mind, we go back over into the grain markets, and it looks like it's going to be the condition of can the we- can the eastern corn belt offset any production losses we see in the western corn belt? Given these this extended forecast, it look, still looks very beneficial to parts of the big guy states, Illinois and Indiana. What's your thoughts there? You know, this is what we turned around a year ago in western Iowa. So, um, you know, without Iowa coming aboard, it's it's going to be problematic for for the corn markets. Uh, soybeans as well. I think soybeans may be even more bullish in the longer run here, just given the problems up in the Dakotas are going to affect them possibly more. Now, my models, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to do say models, but uh, if you take the, the USDA condition score that they value, you're looking at a yield somewhere closer to 48, 49, not 50. So, I think in the in the long run here, um, you know, supply will work itself out. Demand is something to keep an eye on. We have a uh, a meeting with Chinese delegation next week. And I think this set the stage for a presidential meeting between Xi and Biden. And uh, if you recall, the last few times this happened, they were led by grain purchases. The trade deficit between China and the U.S. really hasn't narrowed. China's been buying more, but we've been buying more from them as well. So to, to step it up and get things more balanced, China may need to buy aggressively here in Q4. I'm sorry, in, Q, in the second half of the year uh, to uh, to make up for it. And that's what some of the analysts I read following the GDP numbers are saying that China will be in the market here shortly. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter This Week in Grain. Always learn more, danielsagmarketing.com. Again, that's danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading future options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. And that's going to do it for our midday program today. If you'd like to hear the midday program in its entirety, you can go to krvn.com.